Okay. Okay, so we're going to start today by um, just wrapping up a few points about the Yetzirah and Yetzir Tov in particular. Um, we spoke last week about the Yetzir Tov, but we also spoke about the Yetzirah and the Yetzir Tov together as a set. And the, the importance of that sense of Yetzir, that Yetzir is something which is like Lashon Tzura, shaping and creation through shaping. It shapes us. Our struggle against our Yetzir, or our lack of struggle against our Yetzir, shapes who we become. Um, a Yetzir is an inclination, and even a, a wonderful translation I saw from Rav Hirsch, a fascination. Yetzir is a fascination. It's a sort of obsessive desire for something, a craving for something. Yetzir Hara would be a craving for that or a fascination with that which is either bad or negative or self-destructive, um, dangerous. And a Yetzir Tov would be a craving or fascination or desire for that which is good. Um, either way, it's a craving. It's not an intellectual decision, really. It's a desire. It's a feeling that there's something I'm missing, there's something I need, there's some, I've got an itch I need to scratch. Like There's something I really want, and I feel somehow driven to have more. Okay, so that's the time. We talked also about the fact that really they were created equally strong. God wouldn't throw us into the world with this Yetzirah, like with no possible means. Okay, we, we've said that really a person does need Siata Dishmaya ultimately at the point of decision to overcome the Yetzirah, but nonetheless, he's given us that ability. Um, and we had this amazing set of pieces from Rav Schwab talking about how holding back from our Yetzir Hara, not only weakens the Yetzir Hara, but adds strength to the Yetzir Tov, and vice versa, right? So that a person can achieve not only Kedusha, but also an, an actual desire. They can set free the cravings for that which is good, which was an awesome way to approach it. But there is some, there are some very important points that we need to make to follow up. We can't really just leave it there. Why? Because a person could go too far the other way, difficult as it might be for us to imagine, right? We, we tend to worry mostly about indulging, right? Because the problem is indulging in the Yetzirah. Rav Schwab hinted to it when the basis of one of the passages I read to you was in Parsha Shemini about Nadav and Avihu, who indulged a Yetzir Tov. Right? They brought a korban that they weren't supposed to bring, but it was purely dedicated to God. They meant well, right? A yetzer is an emotional, it's part of our physical makeup. It's emotional, which is part of our physical makeup, and it's an emotional urge or desire or craving or fascination, which means that when someone follows the yetzer tov, the results might be very good. I'm going to read you something about that from Reverse. Awesome stuff. But they're not doing it because of God's will. It's not a choice. What does Hashem want from me? What's the halacha? What should I be doing in this situation? What is he asking of me? What does he want me to become? It's, I want so much to get close to God. Now that's a, that's a wonderful thing. That's a fantastic feeling. But sure, it's a higher level than the issue of having to have some control over Yetzirah, to have Yetzirah, control over Yetzirah, but nonetheless, it's still just a Yetzer. 
Okay, so that can also get out of control. A person can, now sometimes you can have a Yetzirah masquerading as a Yetzirah Tov and vice versa. So you could have a, right, people, the very not, not unusual at all, a desire, um, a desire to feel in control. Okay, a desire to feel in control is not the same as trusting that God has everything under control, right? So a desire to feel in control and therefore, a person might be doing a great job at curbing their taivas on eating or something else, right? Or spending or whatever, because they don't like that feeling of being out of control. And therefore, they want to be in control. So that might be, generally speaking, like a good quality, but it still might not be making a choice based on God's will. It might be a Yetzirah for control. Yeah? Okay, so I want to read you a piece from Asilas Yasharim, which helps put this into a, a better balance and perspective. That's why I didn't want to just stop and say, okay, well, we covered what we need to know. And it's true, we did. But there, there are people whose tendency is to go the other way, to be very, very controlled, and therefore to think that that is holiness. And, and I, I'm not going to judge any particular person, but we see that the way that our Chachamim teach us is not exactly that way either. Okay, that yes, by controlling our yetzer, we set space for God to fill our needs. We allow ourselves to feel, feel that there is a need, right? A yetzer is a feeling that I have a need and I must bring something into myself in order to fulfill the need. Yeah? But what if I feel the need and it isn't that I must bring something into myself? What if I feel that need, I feel that yetzer, and I say, Hashem is the one who fulfills my needs? Hashem is the one who fulfills my needs. So what did God tell me to do? God told me to eat. You know, someone who's anorexic, they have very good control over their eating. But we would not say that that is an, is an example of a person who is controlling their taivas for the sake of fulfilling the will of God. So you can't say that. What they have is a competing taiva. That just, it's competing with the taiva for the food. It's a different kind of taiva of some sort, right? Okay, listen to this. This is Masilas Yesharim on the Midah of Prishos. Okay, Prishos is an important Midah. It's one of the Midos that a person would use to get to Hasidus and all these amazing levels, right, in Masil Sisharim, to become a righteous person. What is it exactly? Uh, that, that would be a whole shir in Masil Sisharim, which not only do I not is have the materials here for, Prishos would be, okay, Lafrish is to separate something, okay? So there's a, a hole and to separate something away from it. So precious, I would say a simple translation might be something along the lines of a person being able to separate himself from physicality, okay? That a person doesn't, they're able to pull themselves out of it. We ha why do we have to pull ourselves out of it? Because even the most righteous person requires food, right? We're not meant to be, like, we, we don't have a belief that a righteous person is an ascetic. That's Christianity, and it's not this. Okay, so let's hear Okay, precious is important. That's what we talked about more last week, right? The ability to say, I'm going to eat and I'm going to leave something over. I'm going to eat, but I'm going to choose something that isn't something I'm just purely craving for taste, right? That's what, that was last week. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Okay. says, there is such a thing, after he's gone and talked and talked about the importance of precious, most people, that's their problem. Most people, the thing we got to work on is being able to hold back. But he says there is such a thing as precious ra, bad precious, bad holding back. That's like the foolishness of the non-Jewish religion. 
I assume he's talking about Christianity. There's other other religions out there. Asher lo dai she'enam lokchim min ha'olamah she'en lahem hechrech bo. Okay, so he's now saying a negative what the definition of precious is. Okay, it's not enough for them that they don't take out of the world what they don't require. Okay, so now you could hear in that already. What was the definition of precious? Precious is only taking from the world, good morning, only taking from the world that which you actually require. Okay? Maybe you require it for your physical sustenance. Maybe you require it for your spiritual. Maybe somebody needs something. Okay? If you take from the world money and turn around and support people with it or support Torah with it, you're taking what you require. That's not, okay? But when someone takes more than what they actually need, that would be a violation of precious. But he says there is such a thing as going overboard on precious, meaning it's no longer God's will. What it is is this, it's, it's a foolish philosophy, and it's untrue, that it isn't enough for them that they don't take from the world what, they don't, what is not necessary for them. <laughs> they are holding back from themselves also that which is, is necessary, in fact. Okay, now God put you in the world, and he put a world in order to provide what you need to do your avodah Hashem. If a person is not going to take that which they require for their avodah Hashem, then they are not going to be doing avodah Hashem. All right? V'yasru gufam b'yisurim. They afflict their bodies with afflictions on their own, like, because life does not have enough difficulties and stresses. Udvarim zarim, and other strange behaviors like this. Asher lo chafetz bohem Hashem klal, which God does not desire at all. I'm reading from Masilas Yesharim on the Midah of Precious. At the very end, after talking about the importance of Precious, he's now going to talk about taking it to the wrong kind of direction as if it's a value in and of itself. Really, the value is Avodah Hashem. Okay? Ela Adaraba. Chachamim Amru. What does the Torah tell us? What does Chazal tell us? What is God's will? From the Masechus of Tainus, fasting. Okay? So we're talking about precious, right? A person is prohibited. A person is prohibited from afflicting himself, from torturing himself. And what did the Chachamim tell us about tzedakah, about giving charity? Refresh would roll to hear me say that. Roll with despair. Charity is, tzedakah is justice. It's fairness. Okay. What you have been given surely has not been given just to satisfy your pleasures. Okay, it's justice. It's nothing to do with being generous, dafka. Okay, that's chesed. We'll get to that. Gemari Yerushalmi. Listen to this, Gemara. Whoever should take and doesn't take, he's a murderer. If your body required something and you didn't take care of it, it's just as bad as if someone else's body required it and you didn't take care of them. That's right. You're spilling blood. doesn't matter if it's your own blood. What, your own blood? Oh, really? That body belongs to you? Really? Whose body is that? You hear this. amru. And that's why they said in Tainus, back to the first source, l'nefesh chaya, neshoma shenosati b'cha ha Man became a living soul. The soul that I put into you, you keep it alive. Nefesh chaya. A soul that, that causes itself to live. Mm-hmm. Meaning, man is supposed to take care of its body and keep it alive. Ve'amru, and they furthermore said elsewhere in Tainus, kol ha-yoshev chote, someone who sits around all the time fasting, he's a sinner. 
Vehemiduha bidla meitzar meitzari nafshe. And they, they're talking about somebody who's not in a condition to fast, okay? Afflicting your body just for the sake of feeling that you're afflicting your body, that's, that's no mitzvah. Vihilal haya omer. Hillel said, Gomel nafsho ish chased. We actually came across this Mesut Shasharim before when we talked about Malbisha Rumim. Just reminding him. Kolayoshi, um, sorry, sorry. Hillel said, Hillel taught, Gomel nafsho ish chased. A person who takes care of his body is a person who's doing chased. Alachilas haboker. You know what he was talking about? Eating breakfast. There's a new one. Eating breakfast so that you provide for the needs of your body is doing chesed. Um, and you know what else Hillel would do? He would wash his face and his hands kono, in honor of his creator. We wash our hands because they're dirty or because we don't want to get germs. Hillel could wash his face and hands in honor of his creator. I'm going to explain this for a second. How did he know that there's such a concept as washing your face and hands, in other words, taking care of your body as a way of honoring God. He learned it out, Midioknus Hamlachim. Hillel lived in a time where there were Greeks, right? There was probably, the, right? Maybe the beginning of the Roman period, I'm not sure. Okay. And they were big into statuary, right? So you want to honor a king, you put his statue in the city, in the town, you know, square, right? So you put a statue in the town square. Now, if the pigeons get at that statue for any length of time, and you come along and you see this, and you decide to wash the statue, who are you honoring? So you could be theoretically respecting the people who sit and collect alms under the statue, because it stinks. But really, if you wash the statue of the king, you're honoring the king. Because there's an image of the king here, which is supposed to evoke that the king rules in this place. Nobody thinks it's a king. We're not talking about a Vodazara, right? This is statues of kings, human kings. It's not pharaohs claiming to be gods, just kings. And the image of the king standing here is supposed to evoke the memory that he is present and that he rules here. And by cleaning this image of the king, you give honor it, you know, okay, you're not going to wash the face of the actual king, and maybe he's somewhere else, presumably. That's why you need the staff. All right. A man was created in the image of God. A human body is created in the image of God. Hillel learned a kalvachomer from the way that you take care of the statue of a king. He said, a person's supposed to look at a human being, and they're supposed to see that there's an image of God. There's some kind of reflection. Nobody's supposed to think it is God. You're just supposed to remember there's a God in this world. Right? You look at a person and you look at their behavior, right? So if you, Hillel could wash his own face and hands, recognizing that this body is an image of God, brings image of God into the world. So we have from here a truth. Anything a person does not actually require in, uh, of, of the physical, it's best that he separate himself from it. But everything that he does, in fact, require, for whatever reason he needs it. doesn't matter if the reason he needs it is because otherwise he doesn't function well, you know, right? Whatever the reason is he requires it, maybe because he's not on such a high level yet, just honestly recognizing that, if he separates himself from it, 
Now he's sitting. We've got to think. <laughs> we have to think. Whether it's Yetzer Hara or Yetzer Tov or Yetzer Hara masquerading as a Yetzer Tov, right? It's got to be about thinking, about saying, what does God want? What is God's will? And yes, that's demanded of us every moment. And yes, it's hard for us to do that every moment. So we've got to catch ourselves in the moments when we realize, wait a second, there's a choice here. There's a choice. Okay. I want to point out that Rav Schwab, at the end of one of those essays that we looked at last week, says, and we talked about this after class, he talks, he, right, he, he gives this unbelievable, mind-boggling, <coughs> life-changing concept that a person could hold back, could leave a little space empty. Now, we already learned, we've got to take care of our bodies, right? A person's supposed to get hungry two to three times a day and supposed to feed the body two to three times a day, okay? You've got to feed your soul two or three times a day, too. That's why you daven. Right? You've got to feed your body. But the purpose of feeling hunger is to recognize that God is the one who feeds us. So we feel hunger, and we recognize God's going to feed me. And I make a bracha, and I eat the food he's provided me. And I leave a little bit left so that there's still a little bit of space. I can still feel that little bit of I wanted more, meaning I'm still hungry, right? I don't have to be actually hungry, hungry, right? But I still have this like idea of hunger, which is Yetzer, which is working now as a positive to remind me that i got to feed myself. But now that i fed myself, i got to stop and say, Hashem, I know you're the one who feeds me. You'll fill in the rest. Rav Schwab said, except for a korban. Ever learned about korbanos a little bit? Okay, korban Pesach is the famous one. You're not allowed to leave anything over. Don't leave anything over. Okay? Any korban, you got to finish eating it by night. Don't leave over. So all of a sudden, this is much harder, much, much harder than learning to just train yourself not to eat and not to finish it all, is to be able to then turn around and say, and now I am going to finish it all. In other words, if my eating is Avodos Hashem, then I eat. And at the point where my eating stops being Avodos Hashem and it's Avodos Hayetzer, then i got to stop. And if the eating altogether was just Avodos Hashem, then don't stop. Now you're going to keep eating for the sake of God. It's, it's an incredible demand of us, and it is stunning that the Torah is actually telling us that we're able to do that. I don't know if we think we could do that, but we can. <laughs> Sorry, I made me think of, the Corban made me think of one thing. There's one time that I feel like we're forcing ourselves to eat, I, I guess in my house, because we're never hungry for shalashadis. So like, just having yeah, what you need. Yeah, that's a beautiful Bahala, example. Just to do it so that you can bench and then be done. <laughs> I couldn't prove it. I think, I think you're right. The I'm proof eating you're eating yeah. for that purpose. Same thing like eating malava malka, right, if you're not hungry. Um, I don't have proof for it, but I think it's probably true that our Shabbos meals, because we say that the Shabbos table is like a mezbeach, that when we're eating on Shabbos, we're eating for the sake of kavach If you've ever been, like, really careful about what you eat, and then you decided, you know, on Shabbos, I won't be so careful what I eat. It's extremely difficult to get back on track afterward, yeah. right? So it's, it's a true avoda to try and figure that out. The eating for the sake of Hashem, yeah, okay. So, I'm so it's just like so important for us to cover this so that we don't leave ourselves with something that apparently is saying you should be obsessive or compulsive in some way. That's also not what we're saying. Because that would be just another yetzer. <laughs> That's just another yetzer. All right. Um, 
self-control, disciplining the yetzer, is not about depriving the body. It's about not indulging it. It's not about depriving the yetzer. It's about in, not indulging it. The yetzer is there for a purpose, right? We get hungry for a reason, <laughs> to remind us that we need to eat and that God feeds us. All these things are things for a reason. So there's a Gemara in Yuma, Samach Tesamad Beis. The Gemara describes that the Anshe Knesses Hagadola realized that this, even though there had been a new Beis Hamikdash built, um, people were not going to be. This was, this was not really a perfect Geula. We were essentially still in Gullus. Okay, this is right after the time of Mordechai and Esther. Possibly even during the still the time of Mordechai and Esther, actually. But but once there was also a base of Mikdash going. Um, and so they fasted. <laughs> and they decided that they were going to somehow um, kill the Yitzhahara for Avodah Zarah. This is not, people cannot manage this anymore. And they did whatever they did. And they called forth this Yitzhahara for Avodah Zarah. And it came flaming out from the Holy of Holies. Who did this? Exactly? The Anshe Sagadola. This is the Sanhedrin in the very beginning era, time of the Second <coughs> Temple era. Um, okay, which also tells you something, right? Which is, where is the Yetzirah? Right. Not in Gay Ben Hinom, next door. Yetzirah is sitting in the Kodesh HaKodesh. This is something holy. This is... It fits much better with the way we've been talking about the Yetzirah than the way we might have thought about the Yetzirah before this, okay? It comes flaming out. And the Anche Knesset Sakadola said, oh, by the way, you know, the consequence of that was, okay, Avodah Zarah comes from a kind of exceeding selfishness. It's a desire that God should serve me, right? I'm going to do this and manipulate, you know, if I do this, then I'll appease the God to do that. And there's a lot of different ways that people can come to Avodah Zarah through selfishness. But essentially, it's a looking at yourself, looking at your Yetzer. But what it caused was an inability to look so well. So at the same time, now that you're killing off the Yetzirah for Avodah Zarah, you killed off the ability to look so well beyond yourself. And so now you also don't have the ability to have Nevuah. So killing the Yetzirah, it seems that it wasn't a surprise to them, but we paid a very big price. It's a big price. It's a very big price to be paid for giving up your Bechira. It's a very big price. But they calculated it. They thought it was worth it. I think we're probably lucky that they did that, <laughs> okay? Meaning, if we had controlled ourselves, so then we'd also have Nebuah. But they realized people are, are getting to the point where it's not gonna be about Nebuah, it's gonna be about Avodah Hang on, I wanna, I wanna just go on. So they said, perhaps this is an opportune time. Maybe there is something now that God is saying that we could do this. They said, let's also kill out the Yetzirah for Avera. In other words, for Arayos, for illegal relationships, illicit relationships, okay? So they did it again. And after a couple days, they looked around. And there's no eggs being laid. There's no babies being born. There's no houses being built. There's no business being done. And God said, I'll let you do it, but you're going to destroy the world. The world can't exist like this. So they said, OK, we take it back. <laughs> OK which is one of the reasons why they're called Anshe Knesses Hakadola, the Great Assembly, not just because they killed one Yitzhahara, because they recognized also that the glory of God might also be revealed 
through the having of a Yetzirah. This is quite, quite astonishing was stuff. Was it killed or just banished? Um, that, it seems that that was, was removed. It was removed from the world for us. Okay, it doesn't mean there is never a possibility of doing Avodah since then there is. But, but it's rare for us to feel, in this generation, not only for Jews, it is rare for a non-Jew to feel a craving to worship an idol in the way that you feel a craving for the second donut. Right. Just wondering, it just seems to me like so, I don't know what the word is, but arrogant, in it, for lack of a better word, why would, how could they possibly, even though they're the Anshe Knesset Hagadola, how could they think, if Hashem put this in the world, it's here for a reason? They understood but it was there for a reason. That they're going to banish something that was put here for They a understood purpose. it was there for a reason. They had prophets. Among the Anshe Knesset Hagadola were prophets. They understood. Meaning, a prophet who's saying there will be no more Nevoah. How hard is that? No job security. <laughs> I'll tell you something, there's better job security without Nevoah. <laughs> Nevi'im, as Rabbi Goldberg says, could not get life insurance. Right. Oh. Okay? <laughs> it's not, it was not about job security. Okay? All right. So on the back of this, some of you may still have this. I'm not going to read it because we, we, now we're on a schedule because we've got to finish in time for us. Okay. But number, number seven, number Zion here, which actually the, the, begin, the title for it is on one side of the paper, but the actual text is on the back, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. This is from the Medrash and Gracious. There's just a few, a few points here, okay, which I put in bold, <coughs> kind of key words. This is referring to the fact, God saw everything that he created. After he saw the light and it was good, and he saw the heavens and they were good, and he said, right? At the end of all of creation, at the end of the sixth day, God looked at everything that he had done. Behine tov me'od. Behold, it was very good. Okay. So, uh, all right. Tov. We have a big problem. Our problem is we grew up speaking English. Okay. Which means that there are certain words that we learn a certain way, and it is, I would say, virtually impossible to overwrite your first understanding of a word. Definition. You can then reset and say, oh, wait, no, I know it doesn't mean that. It means something else. Okay, Rabbi Tatz tells this story. The first time he was asked to sit down at Or Sameach and learn with somebody new. And he sat down and he said, today we're going to talk about angels. And as he looked into the eyes of the person across from him, you heard this? He looked into the eyes of the person across from him, and he could see in, the, in their pupils little fat angels with halos and wings, fat babies mm -hmm. with wings and, and halos yes. flapping across their eyeballs, and he said, no, no, hang on. Okay, today we're going to talk about emanations of divine power. And they're good, and they go on. And then the word angel popped out again, and there's fat babies <laughs> flying across the screen. Okay, he gives that as an example. We come from a culture where the words and the definitions of the words have been provided to us by the pope or something, right? <laughs> like, in English, so it's a, it's a problem. We have a problem with the word tov. Let me tell you, Israelis have a harder problem with the word tov. Why? Because you get your report card from school. Mm. And tov is less than tov plus. It's more than tov minus. It's much less than tov me'od. And both of those are only OK compared to mitsuyan. A mitsuyan is like 100% or 98 to 100%. So tov me'od, there's tov me'od plus. You know, tov me'od might get you to a 90. So tov, you're talking about an 85 at best. Tov is like, not bad. Good job. Well, okay. You can't. 
it's a big problem if you can't erase that now, okay, when you're reading a Chumash. Because you know what? When God says tov, he means tov. <laughs> good is, is good. Good is like all the way good. Like, all the way through, sorry. Does it mean like metzian? Like good means something which is has already realized the state in which God wishes it to remain. That's the Ramban's, I hope I have correctly given over, the Ramban's definition of tov. If you look at the Ramban in Bracious under Vayar Elohim, uh, Es Haor Ki Tov, which is the first use in the Torah of the word tov. Tov is something, yeah, I don't have the Ramban with me, I'm afraid, so you may have to go look it up. Um, I hope I'm saying it correctly. Okay, that the Ramban says, God saw the light was good. What does it mean God saw the light was good? God created it. You know what? It's not like me making a recipe. And then I find out when I tasted how it came out. God knew how it was coming out. Okay? But God's will, whatever it is that is God's will, that is what is truly good. That is the ultimate good. And that is how things will be infinitely and forever. When something has already realized the state, reached the state in which it is materially and in actuality manifesting God's will. In other words, it is already in the state in which God wishes it to always be. That is called tov. Okay, that's 100%. <laughs> that's tov. Okay, so then what's tov mode? How, how can you even have that Hashem wrote the word me'od in the Torah anywhere. Okay, we're going to talk more about the word me'od in Shema. But how can you have the word me'od? Very. Very? Either it's tov or it's not tov, right? Like, what's, what's very? What could you possibly have that would modify tov? Okay, so one clue is from Shema. We don't have time to go into this in great depth, I'm afraid, today. But I'll, I'll just give you, like, the, the punchline, okay? Me'od also means effort. Very. Right? Working hard, putting effort. Okay. Tov me'od. Now, if you look at just the, the bold words here, right? Behine tov maves. Right? Okay. What is this good of tov me'od? Tov me'od is yetzer hara. Tov is yetzer tov. Tov me'od, yetzer hara. Tov me'od, death. Tov me'od, malacha moves. Why? Because... Ilula Yetzirah, if not for the Yetzirah, Lobana Adam Bayes. No man would ever build a house. No one would ever get married. No one would have children. No one would do business. If you never had a feeling of hunger, if you never had a feeling of lack, if you never felt I've got an itch I need to scratch, if you never felt I need something, a craving for something, a fascination for something, you'd never work for it. So the world would just fall to pieces. Nobody would achieve anything. Okay? Hine Tov Ma'od. It's Malchamavis. Okay? God saw everything that he had done. It was Tov Me'od. That's man. That's us. Hi. <laughs> Meet yourselves. That's us. Tov Me'od. Yitzhahara, Yitzhahov. Life, death. We, we got it all. Right? So it's the Me'od that puts us to work. It's the Me'od that puts us to work. Mm-hmm. But what we achieve, right, and that we have talked about in the past, what we can achieve through that Me'od through the fact that we fall down and then get up is something much greater than we could have achieved without that. It's even higher. The place where and that is literally true. The place you can achieve by failing and getting back up and 
and doing tshuva and making it better is somewhere you couldn't have gotten to otherwise. You cannot, we could not be humans that could reach a level even higher than malachim, if not for the fact that we had a Yitzhahara. All right. So, uh, okay, I have to also learn to control my Yitzhahara. But if you ask me after, maybe I'll tell you something. <laughs> Get a Yitzhahara for all kinds of things. All right. What is this all doing here? In this bracha, let's not like lose sight of our big picture. What is all this doing here? <clears throat> so for one thing we might say, this is chasadim tovim, right? Well, we learned back in Ozer Yisrael Begvura, God belts us on with strength, right? There's this pasuk in Yirmiyahu, kikasher yidbak ha'ezor almosne ish, like a person straps a belt onto his waist. So God says, have I strapped onto myself all of the Jewish people of Eskobe Yehuda and the house of Judah. Nu Hashem, says God, to be for me a nation, that's what we're here for, and God straps us on tight. And as Rav Hirsch said over there, um, not on that Pasuk in Yirmiyahu, but in the Haftorah to Parshas Noach, if you feel that life is squeezing you very hard, it's because God is holding you on tighter. He means that. It doesn't just sound nice. <laughs> but that's not this sheer. Who says that? Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch, Haftarah, Parshas Noach. Now think about this a minute. We said to Hashem, Targitlenu secha, accustom us to your Torah, vidab kenu, and stick us secha with your mitzvos. The Altivienu and do not bring us. Bring us where? Bring us where? Bring I think it's bring us to God. Don't bring us close to you through Chait and Avera and Avon and Nisayon and Vizayon and Yetzahara. Please, please bring us close to you how? Tov and Maisim Tovim and a Yetzer that is Mishubad to you. Essentially that's what we're saying. We're saying that Either way, we could get to you. <laughs> and yes, we could get to you by falling down and getting up again. Please help me today to get close to you by doing what is right, not by doing what is wrong. There's more than one path. All right. Now, just to close off this whole thing of the eight stairs. Okay, we have to revise my schedule in a little bit. But I have to read you from Rav Hirsch in Chorev on Taiva. Taiva, craving covetousness, because essentially that is Yetzirah. All right. I'm not going to read the whole thing. What page is it? Um, so my version of Chorev, it's page 43. Thank you. But the topic is called Taiva. The English translation that I have is covetousness, and it's essay number 13, paragraph 98. Taiva is the longing. You, you hear this right away. Just replace the word Yetzer, okay? And you'll hear everything we've been talking about. Taiva is the longing to make oneself the center of an ever-expanding circle of possessions or to draw an ever greater volume of them into one's own range, whether in the shape of immediate enjoyment or the means of enjoyment. Remember we talked about the breathing, right? That sucking into oneself and the frustration of that is called af, anger, Right? The desire to suck in through the apayim, through the nostrils, and the frustration of that is called haronaf, 
Did I not say mm -hmm. it? I might have skipped it. No, I think I said it. Okay. Okay. The desire to draw within one's circle or sphere, the means of enjoyment. God has implanted this impulse to self-enlargement in every creature and has given a share of it to man also, for whom the number of desirable possessions is increased by the category of mental enjoyments and advantages. In other words, we have an even bigger Yetzirah than animals. Animals have a Yetzirah. It's not bad. You wouldn't call it an animal bad. They have a desire to increase that which gives them enjoyment, and that's, by the way, how they know like what to eat and what to do and what to avoid. All right? With people, we also have mental enjoyments and pleasures, and therefore, and emotional ones, right? So there's even more things that we can crave. This impulse is necessary, for on it, God has based the economy of his creation, since every being in striving for itself unconsciously places itself at the service of the divine world order. And while thinking that it serves itself only, actually serves the world. It is necessary in man also, for so long as man is not aware of his mission to enter the circle of God's servants, or is not so keenly aware of it as to be stimulated to active efforts on its behalf, if he does not possess this impulse, he will remain quite inactive and will be the least useful of creatures. He has now, like, he's just taken everything that we've managed to dig up, and probably a hundred times more than that, and helped us to understand its frame within all of nature and all of mankind. But you also hear that unconscious, not aware, right? This is not the goal of mankind to follow a Yetzer. Not Ra and not Tov. That's not what we're created for. Hence, God's wisdom has so ordered matters that even the commonest man, he above all, has this impulse. And so, even though he does not make God or God's world, but himself the object of his activity, he is at any rate active in this endeavor. It gets him going. And with this activity, however little he may know it or intend it, is the instrument of God's hands for perfecting the world of nature and man. So a Yetzer will lead you to be active. But that's natural. That's just built into you. That is making yourself the object of your efforts. Don't fool yourself and think that even if it's a Yetzer told, it's making God the object of the efforts. But of course, on the strength of merely this activity, he's only on the level of a plant or an animal, and even below them, since he was born for higher things. I'm skipping. What you want is not to collect around yourself the greatest possible circle of possessions, but to make yourself a center from which, okay, instead of becoming a black hole that tries to suck everything into yourself, instead, Make yourself a center from which as large as possible a collection of works pleasing to God streams forth. <coughs> so yeah, you are the center of your own universe, but what does that mean? And to take your place with the whole range of your activities in the great circle of created beings, the holy and exalted center of which is God. So it's your godliness that will be at the center, giving, doing for others, providing, acting, right? All of your considerations are about God, not about what do I want? What do I want to get? But if you have climbed to this highest stage of Jewish life, beware above all of misusing this impulse. In inferior beings, God has set barriers to this impulse itself in order that no one of them should in obedience to it go beyond what is necessary and good for itself. Other creatures have built in stoppers that will prevent them, generally speaking, from overdoing it. Their desires do not of themselves go further than this, and therefore the impulse is of itself wholly beneficial. Not so with man. 
For just because man should of his own free will restrain this impulse with the help of God's law, halacha, and at the highest point completely transform it from service of self into service of the world according to the will of God, for that very reason this impulse in him does not of its own accord restrain itself in the slightest de degree. Because our whole purpose is to use our will, we don't have a yetzer that will stop itself, that will say, ah, I want to do what feels good. Doing this will give me a stomachache, so I'll stop. People don't have that stop. I mean, we do have a stop. It's a better stop. It's a, it's a free will stop. It's intellectual. But it's not built into the yetzer itself. I'm going to skip some more. <coughs> Unspeakably frightful are the consequences of taiva when it exceeds the bounds of the necessary and good. You hear Ms. Yasharim talking? It destroys all happiness in life. It perverts all human actions. It tears up the charter of divinity in man. Remember what Schwab said? Adam Ra, someone who has gone beyond, like to the point where they lose their own soul king. There is no misery great or small, no sin great or small, which has not its roots in taiva. What you have has no value for you. Only what is not yet yours attracts you. Ouch. And this too loses its value upon being acquired. Thus you have no joy in life so long as anything exists and lives and possesses and enjoys outside your sphere. And if you adopt such an attitude of hostility against all other beings and their happiness, the implications of allowing Taiva to have its way. Did we realize? Did we really understand where that takes you? It puts you in opposition to all of the rest of the world, all of the people around you. Because anything that's outside of you, your control, your enjoyment, your pleasure, is, is like against you. You must in the end succumb and be the loser in the fight which is waged by society and divine order against one who isolates himself. All suffering is in very truth nothing other than the product of taiva. Tsaros are nothing but a limitation of personality. The word tsar means narrow, right? Limitation. But if you never went beyond what is permitted to you, three quarters of your suffering would be unknown to you. But if in fact, but in fact, you often risk all that is permitted for the attainment of but one permitted thing, then you destroy yourself. You destroy for yourself the happiness in your life. I'm skipping again. Where Taiva draws, Torah cannot abide. How could he say such a thing? How could he say such a thing? You know how he could say such a thing? For where mind and disposition set themselves up as the directive forces of life, when it's what I want that decides what I'll do and what should happen, how could there be room for the law which desires to implant the promotion of the will of God and the salvation of the world as the mission of life? It's, it's, um, it's inexorable logic. And life experience shows us to be true. But do we realize that in our moment-to-moment -moment decisions? Skipping again. Yes, every sin and every crime is only a product of taiva. For one and all, they are nothing but a scorning of divine law for the satisfaction of one's own desires. Therefore, beware of taiva, of all covetous yearning for objects and enjoyments which you do not possess, and above all, for those which God forbids you to pursue. And do not say, it's only my thoughts and feelings. It's not action, because essentially the action will follow. How then? Can you guard against unbridled taiva? How can you attain the high level of character in which taiva is changed into ahava, love of the Lord? They have the similar root. Taiva is what I want, love of myself, and ahava is love of God. 
Only one thing can lead to this, and in it lies all virtue and happiness, and this one thing is to have a proper idea of life. Value your life not according to possessions and enjoyments, but according to good deeds. It, it sounds so simple, but it is so not simple. We live in a city where you are what you drive, but that's not true. Again, value your actions only according to their relation to the means which you possess and acquire. Don't think, I don't have good actions because I don't have much stuff, so I can't give much tzedakah. I don't have room to be able to host get No. Your actions are judged against once God has given you. It's what he gives you that is what you have to use. It is not how much or how little you have that makes you great or small, but how much or how little you are with what you have. Isn't that everything? How much or how little you utilize what has been lent to you for action in the service of God. That is it. Your body, your health, your money, your house, your, your emotional state, your number of days in your life. It is how much or how little you utilize what has been lent to you for action in the service of God. That is it what makes you great or small. All right. It's now after 9 o'clock, so... <laughs> I was planning to get a little farther and didn't, and we'll, um, we'll see. But this does now, I think, conclude what we're going to talk about in terms of the Yetzers. Okay, we needed to have the balancing out. It's more demanding that way. Are we going to be there today? If you are, tell me. <laughs> but you know what? Maybe we could try and be there once today. One thing. One thing that we eat, one bracha that we say, one action that we do. Or don't do. Okay? Someday, not today, I'll tell you the story of the Tfilas Adarach. I didn't say. Our decisions have to be what is Ratzon Hashem. So what should we have in time?